presented by the American Petroleum Institute. Hey, good morning. I am Playbook co-author Eugene Daniels. It's Tuesday, August 22nd. Here's what's driving the day. Former President Donald Trump said he is going to be turning himself in on Thursday, one day after the Republican debate. In a Truth Social post last night, the president confirmed reports that he'd, quote, be going to Atlanta, Georgia on Thursday to be arrested, all caps, by a radical left district attorney, Fannie Willis. The timing, no accident. He has counter-programming on Wednesday, and now with this on Thursday, you're going to see the former president getting exactly what he wants, split screens at the very least, and largely cutting off hopes that other candidates have of getting a big media bump. Some of the networks, I'm told, have already kind of started to scramble for some special coverage. And late, late, late last night, the Republican National Committee said that nine folks had hit the qualifications to make the debate stage, one of those being someone who said he is damn sure not coming, Donald Trump, the others, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Chris Christie, Doug Burgum, and Asa Hutchinson. Now, there are some other folks, Francis Suarez, um, Perry Johnson, Larry L who were kind of on the bubble and thought they might make it. And that ended up not being the case at all. Those three guys not on the debate stage. But you would forgive them for thinking that they would make the cut because of how opaque some of the rules around the debate qualifications were, especially when it came to which polls actually counted. And joining me now to discuss the kind of process from the first GOP presidential debate is our debate guru, my boy, Zach Montalaro. Zach, good morning. How are you? Hey, Eugene. I'm good. How are you? Yes. It's been a long time coming. We are getting closer and closer to your Super Bowl, which is debate day tomorrow. (laughs) Now, Zach, the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is that you were tweeting on Monday about the process that the RNC has implemented for the debate rules and getting on the debate stage. I'm going to read from it because I want to get your reaction. You write, quote, the RNC's debate rules have been immensely confusing. And since last Thursday, there's been maybe a dozen polls that could count. Committee has not answered a bunch of political questions on what counts in about a month. But here's a thread laying out what our thinking is. You kind of give these people who hit the donors, need the polls all the way up until, you know, we actually found out the information um, last night. So talk to me about that process, why it's been so confusing for not just I thought it was just confusing for me, but for someone like you who's in the weeds on this. Why has this process been confusing and a little bit opaque? So the RNC set two requirements that candidates need to hit to get on stage. They need to have 40,000 donors, which is something that basically everybody running hit, and they need to have 1% in at least three national polls or two national polls and two early state polls that meet the RNC requirements. And that sounds simple. And if you're somebody like Donald Trump or even, you know, that second tier, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, it was simple. You really didn't think too hard about this. You're always hitting 1% in all these polls. It's when you get to that bottom tier of candidates who don't always hit 1% that you start to kind of scratch your head. Uh, the way the RNC set up the requirements for the polls was not to say, okay, if you hit 1% in these specific pollsters, you know, pollsters we all know and love, Quinnipiac, NBC News, Fox News, even the host of the debate, uh, which is how the Democrats did it. RNC didn't do that. What they said is they kind of laid out vague methodological requirements 
that you needed to have 800 likely Republican voters. And then you needed to have, you know, a question ordering that they found did not bias the process and you needed to not overtly weight certain samples. And that's a lot of words to say. What the hell does that mean, Zach? That feels very subjective. It, it's a lot of words to say that the RNC didn't really want to say how people qualified. Over the last month, we've been asking the RNC questions like, hey, does this poll count? We have seen fly-by-night polling operations, some that you know have been around for a while, but we'll just charitably say have less than stellar reputations, and some that I have never heard of <laughs> up until the moment they emailed me their poll saying, hey, we think we count for the debate, that have trying to be getting attention. And that's all fine and good. The problem was the RNC was then not answering Politico's questions when I was asking them, when my colleagues were asking them, hey, does this poll from so-and-so count? So what that means is that there's been candidates that said they qualified and we are doing our best analysis (laughs) to figure out who qualified, but we didn't have a definitive yes or no. I mean, this sounds really damn confusing. Like if I'm a candidate, I'm not sure how I can actually get on that debate stage. And you've had these candidates saying they fulfilled everything. And we've gotten messages from those candidates saying they were in and they didn't make it, actually actually make it. So I guess, do you think they're going to fix any of this or was this created to be opaque so they can kind of not have to have that many people on the debate stage, not to have a, a rerun of 2016 where they had to have two debates? Right. You know, I guess it's it's almost at this point academic because even the threshold for the next debate in September is high enough that these candidates who often poll at 0% and maybe sometimes can get 1% probably won't be there. The next debate, the polling threshold is 3%. And I would suspect that as the debates go on, and if they are continued to be hosted, if Trump does eventually show up, the threshold will get higher and higher. So it, it, part of it's academic. But you know, it, it was frustrating, obviously, for the candidates who didn't know their fate. I had campaign staffers texting me going, do you think this counts? Do you think this counts? What's going on? And no, like you, you, you started working for me, being a consultant for all these campaigns who were also confused. <laughs> right. But it also, it mattered a little bit too for the candidates who knew they were going to be there. One more candidate on stage could be A, another person attacking you, and B, just less time to go around in general. So, you know, again, future debates won't have this problem, probably. It'll be harder to get on stage. We won't have these kind of candidates who are just running for the sake of running for president to hope they get interviewed by Politico, to hope they end up on Fox News, to hope they get a feature in the Des Moines Register. They'll start to fall off the stage because they just can't meet the qualifications. But, you know, it was an interesting exercise, at least. Zach, how dare you? Everybody who has ever run for president wants to win (laughs) presidency, obviously. Sir, thank you very much for coming on. Um, You need to get a lot of rest so you can get ready for tomorrow's big day. You know it, Eugene. Thanks for having me. And for your schedule today, the House and the Senate... They are still out. And President Biden, he is also on vacation in Nevada. I'm Eugene Daniels. Thanks for listening. Higher fuel prices affect every American. Washington can help. Pump prices are driven by the cost of crude oil set by global supply and demand, not oil companies or fuel retailers. We need smart policies to help increase American oil production to add to the global supply and help put downward pressure on prices. America needs more oil leasing, permitting reforms for needed infrastructure construction and common sense regulation.